Well, it is wonderful to see you all again tonight and wonderful to take another step in our This is the Gospel training this evening. So I was sharing with the crowd that was here at House of Prayer this evening that I'm adding a piece in tonight that I normally do not add in when it comes to This is the Gospel training. And it is because of a number of questions that I had now coming back to me after one of the last lessons that we did, one on soil preparation, how it is that we are working with the Spirit of God. We are not lagging behind. We are not running ahead, but rather we are working with the Spirit of God and what God is doing in a person's life. And since I had a number of questions about that, I don't want to simply rush through things and act as though everybody's on the same page. So I wanted to come back, and we're going to go a little bit further in Jesus' teachings in that exact same section over in John chapter 4, just to make sure everybody is on the same page. So I also need to share with you all tonight that because this is not one of the normal lessons that I give in our This is the Gospel training, this will not be in that bound book that we've been talking about, that we're going to give one of these per household for those of you that have been a part of this training. Uh, we have all of those materials that are going to be finished up and made available, one per household after we finish this. But this section is in addition to that. So in other words, take really, really good notes tonight because uh, uh, now the, also the great thing is when it's on video, you can go back and watch it and stop it and start it and do whatever it is that you want to do from there. So let's begin tonight with a little bit of a review, making sure everybody is back on the same page. A couple of weeks ago, we addressed critical components of the gospel from Acts chapter 8, verses 25 through 40. And our key concept on that particular evening is most questions about salvation are rooted in confusion over the gospel. And we saw in the conversion story, the Ethiopian eunuch, we saw the way that the gospel comes together and how it is that God uses his spirit, his word, and his people in order to lead people to this saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So in that text, we found that the gospel is empowered by the work of God's spirit. The gospel is grounded in the truths of God's word, and the gospel is spread by the witness of God's people. Now, how God saves, and why God saves, and when God saves, and who God saves, all of that is in the sovereign mind of God. That is above our pay grade. That is God's side of this equation. Our part on that is to sow seed. Our part is to be available. We cannot save someone, only God can save someone. But the gospel reaches the ends of the earth by God's spirit, by God's word, by God's people. Then a couple of weeks ago, we studied the principles of gospel preparation from Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. And our goal in that was to better understand the spirit's preparation of a person's heart so that they are ready to receive the gospel message. And in Mark chapter 4, Jesus mentions four different soil types. And each of these soil types represents a condition of the human heart and its receptivity to the gospel message. Also, it represents how the Spirit of God has prepared that person's heart for the gospel itself. So we found the hard soil. That is, some people do not understand the gospel. When the seed of God's word hits their heart, it stays on the surface. It doesn't penetrate. It doesn't sink in. It stays on the surface. They've not been sufficiently prepared for that message to sink in. Then there was the rocky soil. Some people do not understand the cost of following Christ. 
Then there was also the thorny soil. Some people want the world more than they want God. And then there is good soil. Some people are receptive to the gospel message. Now, what we found in this is that our job is to sow seed on all four soil types. You don't know where that person is with God. You don't know what level God has prepared them. So when you're broadcasting seed and you're sowing seed, that seed is going to hit all of these different soil types. But we specialize in good soil. That is, if somebody is not yet understanding the cost, we're not trying to harvest that person. We're not trying to pressure that person. We explain the cost of following Christ. If somebody wants the world more than they want God, our thing there is not, let's rush ahead and just get them to pray a prayer. Our thing is, God, we start praying specifically. Right now, they want other things more than they want you. And unless you change that, they're not going to see the importance of the gospel in their life. One of the greatest moments of this, Bria can testify on this. She was with me when this happened in North Carolina. We were called to go to a house, visit with a young man. This is a young man who had been dabbling in the occult, dabbling in witchcraft. We were asked if we would go out to the house, sit down, and spend some time and share the gospel. And we got out there, and we shared. And he was bright, 16 years old, I believe, at the time. Brilliant young man. Asked questions that most people would never ask. And I tried my best to go through it and answer questions, answer questions, answer questions. We got all the way to the very end at the gospel when I presented the gospel. And I said, is there anything that would hinder you from receiving the gospel tonight? And he said, no, you've answered all my questions. And he prayed that evening to receive Christ. We were excited. And we went through. He showed up the following week at church. He got a Bible. He got baptized. We're thinking, man, God is doing a work here. It looked like it was going all the same direction. And about four months later, I hadn't seen him in a couple of weeks. And I checked in on him. And I said, hey, man, we've been missing you. Where are you at? And he said, I was talking to somebody else about a different religion. And here's what he said. And they had just as good an argument as you did. Here's what I found in that moment. If you think you can argue somebody in the kingdom, somebody else will argue them back out of the kingdom. It has to be that the Spirit of God has prepared them. And if that has not happened, we are in dangerous ground to try to pull a quick decision if the Spirit of God's not prepared that person yet. That's why it's important that we're working with the Spirit of God. We're not running ahead. We're not lagging behind. We're saying, God, I'm available. God, use me. God, help me to have the right eyes. Give me wisdom in this moment. Help me to explain and over-explain whatever it is. God, I just, I don't want to get in the way of what you're doing in this moment. So today, we are talking about principles of sowing and reaping. How do we effectively I guess not only sow seed on each soil type, but how do we effectively reap on the good soil? Our text in this is going to be John's Gospel chapter number 4. John's Gospel chapter 4. It's actually a continuation of what we were in a couple of weeks ago. John's Gospel chapter number 4. Last time we were in verses 1 through 20. On this one we're going to be in verses 35 through 38. So let's turn over there for just a moment. Let's read the text and let's see what this text is telling us about sowing and reaping. 
verse 35 through 38. This is Jesus speaking, and he said, Do you not say there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, that they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Stop there for just a moment. One of the most beautiful parts of that text is if you think you're the first person and the only person who is trying to get the gospel to someone, just know there's a lot of other people. There's a lot of praying grandmas out there. There's a lot of praying moms and dads and friends and believers. And there's other people who have been sowing. And sometimes you get a chance to step in and to reap what you have not sown. Somebody else had been sowing in for 20 years. You just happen to be there at that right moment, and you get to see that person go from death to life. And if we're not careful, sometimes like, man, I am good. Like, one conversation, my gospel gun's loaded, man. I am on fire. No, Jesus says right here, I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you entered into their labor. So on this, there are at least five different truths that we can learn about sowing and reaping from this text. Here's the first one. I believe it's going to be in your notes. That is, without the guidance of God, we are complacent and underestimate the spiritual readiness of those around us. Without the guidance of God, we are complacent and underestimate the spiritual readiness of those who are around us. Now, Jesus said, do you not say there are still four months and then the harvest? I say to you that they are white for harvest. Now, why four months? That seems like a very specific period of time for Jesus to throw out. Well, it is a truth that definitely gets unpacked as we get into the context here. So here's the flow of what's happening in the text. In the beginning of John chapter 4, Jesus meets the woman at the well, and he has an incredible conversation with her. I mean, it is one of those conversations about living water and about eternal life and about worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And it's a great conversation. He reveals to her that he is Messiah in verse 26. And right after that, right after he makes that declaration, the disciples pop back up. And their first thought is recorded in verse 27. Look at it over there. And they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. First thought out of their mind, wow, he's talking to a woman. Now, part of their issue is a cultural issue here. And a part of that is it was considered to be improper for a woman to speak to another man in public who was not her husband. So part is like, whoa, what's going on here? But there's another part of that. That is, contextually, it would seem like she had a reputation that was maybe less than righteous, there's a number of indicators on this that would lead us to that uh, understanding. So they might have been looking and saying, man, Jesus is hanging out with the wrong crowd right now. I can't believe he's speaking maybe with that woman. But here's the part that just kind of grabs me when I look at this. Did you notice 
that that was the first thought they had when they came back. Here, here's, the, here's the thing that sat in my mind. I wonder if Jesus sent his disciples on an errand because he knew they were about to interfere with kingdom business. To which here's the second thought that came into my mind. How many times has God had to send me on an errand because I'm about to interfere with some kingdom business? How many times has he said, Paul, you won't have to go out for a gallon of milk and a loaf of bread because I got some business to handle here? And, and he's doing something, because, but because I'm not discerning that in the moment, I would interfere with it if I were in that place. Just a thought. I just wanted to share it with you. So go back to that first piece. Why four months? Well, four months was the customary amount of time that separates the sowing and harvesting. Whenever wheat or barley are ready to harvest, the, the top part of that would become white. There was a visible indicator. There was a visible indicator. There was a visible indicator to let you know it's time to harvest. So Jesus sowed the seed back in verses 7 through 26. He reaps the harvest two days later, verses 39 through 42. And Jesus said, you think there's still four months to the harvest. But what I'm telling you is, open up your eyes. The fields are white right now. Sometimes it takes two days. Sometimes it takes two years. Sometimes it takes 20 years. The issue here is not the amount of time it takes. The issue is, are you seeing visible indicators that it's time to harvest? Now, part of the issue that we've come up to is complacency. We think there's plenty of time. Sometimes we think there, there's no hurry. They're young still. People die young all the time. We think, well, when I get back from a vacation or, or when I get a little bit of time, then I'll focus on that part. None of us are promised tomorrow. We don't know if we have the moment tomorrow. We don't know if they're going to be here tomorrow. So a part of that is there is a complacency that we have. And Jesus says, the fields are white for harvest. Here, here's what I've noticed over the course of my life. Sometimes the people that are on my heart, that I'm saying, God, bring them to yourself, bring them to yourself, they might not be ready, but there's four other ones around them that are ready. And if I'm over here sitting there saying, nope, I'm just going to focus here. Everybody else can do something else. I, that's not kingdom farming at that point. We need to have our eyes open to the fields. The fields are white for harvest. And sometimes we're saying, God, I'm going to keep this person on my list. I'm going to keep availing myself to you. I'm going to keep asking that you bring them in. But Lord, give me eyes to see those people that are around me right now, that they're at that place. The good seed has fallen on the good soil, and you're about to bring the harvest. And Lord, if I can sow more seed, if I can water current seed, if I can be a part of harvesting, I'm okay, God. Give me eyes to see those who are around me. Part is an issue of complacency. Part of the time, we don't recognize the readiness of people. Have you ever looked at someone and their walk with God? And you're thinking to yourself, man, if God could ever save that person, it's a miracle. Hey, the fact he saves any of us is a miracle. It's not, it's not just one type of person or, or one individual. And sometimes what we can do is we think we know where a person is in their spiritual readiness. And we're thinking like, 
that person's got a long, long time to go. Let me give you a quick story. Man, I wish I could remember the evangelist's name. Somebody research it for me and you can get back to me on it. But there is a famous evangelist who when he came to Christ, he was in prison. And how he came to Christ was he was smoking the gospel of John. Let that sink in for just a moment. That is, he'd gotten some weed. He's looking for something to roll it in. They just gave him a Bible when he went into prison. So he's tearing the pages out, rolling joints, smoking weed. And as he's tearing a page out, he takes a moment to read it. And God got all over him. Now let me ask you a question. In prison, smoking the Gospel of John, would you say that person was ready to receive Christ at that moment? Like, on my mind, I'm thinking, that brother's got some time to go. Keep him in percolating, Lord. He's not ready yet. And sometimes, like, we, we don't recognize what God has been doing. We look on the outside. God knows what's going on on the inside. Sometimes the person you think might not be ready, all it takes is God to bring one conversation, one moment, one desperate act, and that person who was in rebellion at one moment can be ready and submitted to receive Christ the next moment. Our, our thing is, Lord, help us to recognize the readiness of where people are at. So here's the second thing I want you to see. Jesus wants us to be observant of the condition of the fields around us. He wants us to be observant of the condition of the fields that are around us. He says three times the same thing three different ways. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. Behold, it, it speaks of more than a quick glance. It, it's a longing stare. He says, behold, look, lift up your eyes. Look, at three times he's saying, Observe, observe, observe what is around you. He wants us to be observant of the fields. How, how do we partner with the Spirit of God when it comes to the process of redemption? Say, God, give me eyes to see what's happening around me. Help me to recognize what you're doing in that moment. Number three, the fields refer to humanity and the context is eternal life. It says in the text, and he, and he who reaps wages and gathers fruit for eternal life. Uh, it's important that we recognize this is a text. It's, it is not talking about just farming in general. This is a specific type of farming. This is some spiritual farming that is happening. Jesus is not saying, look at people and evaluate their good works. He's not saying, look at people and let's argue over who you might think is of the elect. You're not going to figure that one out. Instead, he's saying, let your looking lead to reaping. Let it be that as you observe, it is moving you towards reaping. That comes into this next idea, and that is sowing and reaping work together in the harvest of God. It says, both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. One sows and another reaps. It seems as though some people are really, really good at sowing, and they, they need to keep on sowing. Some are really good at reaping. They need to keep on reaping. There's some that are really good at sowing and reaping. They need to keep on sowing and reaping. The point here is that there's not one that's more important than the other. 
Sowing and reaping go hand in hand together. It's a part of the process that God uses. It says they rejoice together. One of the things I love about what happens here at Sherwood when somebody is baptized and they say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, the whole place erupts in applause. There should be rejoicing when people come to faith in Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, number five on that. The ultimate purpose is not observing but reaping. He said, I sent you to reap. Now, here's the reason I'm bringing that out. Jesus is not saying, I just want you to keep staring at people for the rest of your life. I mean, just keep looking at them. Be one of those weirdo stalkers in the airport. You just sit there and just keep staring at people. He's not saying, I want you to just observe them. I want you to try to empathize with them. I want you to just feel everything they feel. And just keep on doing that for the rest of your life. Eventually, he's saying, let what you see lead you into reaping. There needs to be a time that it's harvest time. So, that being said... Let's now go to our second passage of the night. I want you to go over to Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. We'll be in verses 26 through 29. Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, 26 through 29. It says, The kingdom of God is like a man who scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and gets up night and day while the seeds sprout and grow, although he doesn't know how. And by the way, that should be the way we look at the entire process. When you see God drawing someone to himself, like, how is that happening? Like, I knew that. I grew up with that guy. That's not the same conversations we had 10 years ago. And all of a sudden, you begin to watch the way the Spirit of God and the Word of God starts to turn up the soil in that person's heart. And you're like, I don't know what's going on. I can't describe what's going on. All I know is something's going on. Like, God is all over that person. This farmer, he's looking out there, and he's getting up night and day, and he's saying he doesn't know how this is growing. The, good, the ground produces grain by itself, first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain is ripe, he immediately swings his sickle because the harvest time has come. There's four truths that I want you to see in this text. The first is by far the most labor-intensive. Here's the first one. Not overly deep, but it's important that we share it. We're called to scatter seeds around us. Remember, we're just broadcasting seed. It goes on all four soil types. We're called to sow the seed. The kingdom of God it's like a man who scatters seed on the ground. So our first question has to be, what is seed? If you're called to spread it, we need to know what it is. Well, we answered a part of that in our previous message. Part of it is the word of God. We recognize that based upon what Jesus said about the four soil types, specifically in verse number 14. So we got to find practical ways of sharing the word of God, giving the word of God, preaching the word of God, all of that. But there is a second component that is often missed at this particular point. Listen to this passage. Write it down in your notes. James 3.18. It speaks of something else that's being sown by Christians. It says, now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now, there's a little bit of confusion over this particular text because farmers sow seed, they don't sow fruit. 
That'd be a really heavy bag to be walking around with. Got a big bag of apples and you're just throwing apples out into the field. You know, apple seeds a whole lot lighter than apples. But this one, it's talking about the fruit of righteousness that is sown in peace by those who make peace. Well, Warren Wearsby gives a fantastic insight on this verse. He said, and I quote, There is a vast difference between man-made results and God-given fruit. Fruit is the product of life, and fruit has in it seeds for more fruit. Usually, it is the seed that is sown, but here it is the fruit that is sown. As we share the fruit of God with others, they are fed and satisfied, and they in turn can bear fruit. End of quote. Now listen to this. Do you remember the defining mark of a person who is repented of their sin by placing faith in Christ? Growth is not the defining mark. Fruit is the defining mark. The Bible speaks of fruit. So when the word of God, the good fruit, hits the good soil, then it is going to bear life. It's going to bring about fruit. And the evidence of that is going to be that as the Spirit of God has come in, there is life change. Many times it's most often seen in the fruit of the Spirit immediately. Love, joy, peace, comfort, or peace, uh, patience, all of these things. There, there's patience with people that maybe wasn't there before, joy in suffering, or, or maybe it is self-control instead of giving in to every urge. That there's the beginning parts of a person bearing fruit, then as it is cultivated by God and the vines are tended, it goes from fruit to more fruit to much fruit. But fruit, again, is going to be an evidence that God is working on the inside. It is by a changed life that we sow the fruit of righteousness. Now, this is, this is good. This is, this is worth what it costs you to come to church tonight, okay? The fruit of righteousness not only ministers to a person's immediate needs, but it plants seed in the person's life that can be cultivated by the Spirit of God at another time. So think of it like this. A number of years ago, I had a man slip a note into my truck cab, and my window was cracked just a little bit, um, he just slid a little note in, it fell in my seat, I got into my truck, pick it up, and there's a note that somebody had left me. And I opened it up and the note basically said, I have watched my family and my friends become Christians, and there's been a change that's happened in their life. I want what they have. And the guy said, would you be willing to meet with me and share with me what you've been sharing with them? I said, love to meet with you. <laughs> By the way, whenever you ask a Baptist preacher, would you like to talk about the gospel? Yes! And if the person says no, shame on them. Yes! We, we need to be ready for gospel conversations. So we had a couple of meetings. We met at a Starbucks, and as we sat down, he just began to open up and said, these are some questions that I have. And every question he had, I would say, let's go back and see what the Word of God has to say. Why? Because it's God's spirit, God's word, God's people. I wanted the word to come in. So he'd ask the question. I'd say, let's see what the word of God says. He'd get an answer. He'd ask another question. I was like, man, that's great. Do you know the Bible talks about that? Let's go and see what the word says. And we'd go right back into it again. And at the same time that we were having those conversations, 
he had been given a book by A.W. Tozier. And he had been highlighting things. And he was like, man, he goes, can you tell me what this means? I was like, yeah, look down in the next passage when he puts the Bible verse down here. Here's where he explains it. And we went through about three of these conversations. And then I'm sitting there one day, and I said, so what's your next question? He goes, I don't have any more questions. I said, so what would get in the way of you placing faith in Christ? And he said, I don't think anything. I said, would you like to do that now? He said, yes. So I was with him when God moved him from death to life. And here's what I can tell you. To this day, he is still faithfully serving within this church. He's faithfully leading his family. There's been life change that has taken place because of this. But here's why I bring all of that up. Here's what just happened. When he had questions, I directed him back to the Word. How did he even begin to see that he had questions? He watched the life change of those in his family. And when he saw what God was doing in them, just simply by them walking with Jesus, they're sowing the fruit of righteousness. They're sowing the fruit of righteousness. And he's saying, I can just tell you something is different and I want what they have. So now it opened an opportunity for me to be able to come in and to answer his questions through the word. And here's what happens. All along the way, the people around him were like the, the farmer who just keeps sowing the seed. They're just sowing the seed. And you know what I got a chance to do on that day? I got a chance to live out Acts chapter 1, where it says, you will be my witnesses. You know what? I'll, I'll, here's all I did. I just testified about what I have seen, what I have heard, and what I have personally experienced. God is the one who changed his life. So, what do we need to practically sow the seed? The word of God, the fruit of righteousness, the Bible, and here it is, behavior. Oh, how many times has one of the first things that you've heard when you begin to share the gospel with people who are not in the church, one of the first statements is, church is full of what? Hypocrites. Yes, the world's watching. And if what we say is not being lived out in our life, they take note. And they are siding on what are they living, not what are they saying. My mentor would always say this, it's not the truth you know that changes you, it's the truth you live. And if we're not living it, you're not going to fool people that are around you. People want to know that if the gospel's true, it can change the way people act. And if Christians act like a bunch of hoodlums, if Christians start going crazy like people who don't know Jesus, if Christians cannot respond in grace, if Christians cannot have forgiveness in their heart, if Christians cannot have a peace of mind knowing that the King of kings and Lord of lords is ruling over all that is, if, if Christians don't have that, and then we come out and say, can I tell you about my Jesus? No, nah, that's all right. Like I, here's how that translates to somebody who doesn't know Christ yet. I already have enough going on in my life. I'd rather keep my Sunday to myself. They equate it with another obligation, not life change. But when God's all over somebody, people want to find out what God has done. So that was by far the most labor-intensive of these four statements. Don't be afraid. We are going to get through the other ones here very quickly. Here's your next one. 
Scattering seed is the normal lifestyle of this individual. It says he sleeps and gets up night and day while the seeds sprout and grow. Sowing seed is to be a normal part of the believer's life. In fact, when Jesus gave the great commission, go and make disciples, you all know, it is more accurately translated, as you go, make disciples. It should be a normal part of our regular lives. Evangelism, listen, evangelism should not have to be a program in the life of a church. Evangelism should be a lifestyle by those who are followers of Christ. Here's your next one. There are stages of development in the maturation process of the seed. There are stages of development in the maturation process of the seed. It says the ground produces grain by itself. First the stalk, notice the maturation, then the head, then the full grain in the head. And when the grain is ripe, the harvest has come. Why did the farmer not harvest as soon as the stalk started to come up? Wasn't ready yet. Okay. It is sad to say, but sometimes Christians are swinging the sickle at people that the Spirit of God's not prepared yet. And they cutting them down. The person has questions. And instead of stopping and saying, God, let, don't let me get ahead of what you're doing. Don't let me fall behind. Don't, don't let me get ahead. Instead of doing that, sometimes we get so excited about scratching another notch on our gospel gun that we forget the fact that it is a soul that is in the balance right here. We're not supposed to just swing immediately. We're to let the maturation process continue. We are to let it go from the stalk to the grain to the full grain of the head until the grain is ripe for harvest, and then it's harvest time. By the way, soil preparation, plant growth, and fruit production are solely in the hands of God. We are called to plant seed and water seed and harvest when God has brought people to repentance. The Apostle Paul, remember he said, I plantus, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. There is no mention in your Bible about the Christian plow or the soul winner's shovel. Your job is not to break up the ground in that person's heart. That's the Spirit of God's job. And when you try to be the Spirit of God for somebody else, that never ends well. We sow seed. We sow seed. Now, Jesus says, Mark 4, 27, he sleeps and gets up night and day while the seeds sprout and grow, although he doesn't know how. Why doesn't the farmer know how the seeds are sprouting and growing? Because that's the work of God. <laughs> listen, listen. Plant growth is not his department. Growth is a byproduct of life, and life is in the hands of God. We don't understand how God does what he does, but we don't have to understand how God does what he does. Here's number four. The man demonstrates keen observation and persistent evaluation of the harvest. The man demonstrates keen observation and persistent evaluation of the harvest. It says, he sleeps and gets up night and day while the seeds sprout and grow. 
But when the grain is ripe, he immediately swings his sickle because the harvest time has come. The man knew what he was looking for, and he's waiting for that moment when it's harvest time. His, he's focused. His actions are repetitive. His response was immediate. It is impossible to be ready for the harvest if we are not intentional about the process. We need to pray, God, give us eyes to see. Help us be keen in our observations. Help us be persistent in our evaluation. God, we need you. I'm available. Would you know what I, help me to know what I'm supposed to do at this time? In order for a person to know Christ, in order for them to experience transformation, it is not because you and I are going to have a persuasive enough argument in order to change their eternal destiny. It's got to be that the Spirit of God is the one who is doing the work, and our part is not to get ahead, not to fall behind. Our part is to say, God, help me. Give me wisdom in this. I'm available to be used. And let God begin to drop those pieces in place. So let's pause. Who has God put on your heart that he keeps bringing up again and again, prompting you? Pray for them. Pray for them. I'm working in their life. Pray for them. Who has he put around you that he's wanting you to observe what he's doing in their life? If you do not already have a list going, I'm going to encourage you to do this. Keep a list of people that you are not sure of where they stand before God. Keep a list and just keep praying over it and say, God, help me to know what I need to do in this moment. I cannot tell you how many times I am praying over a list. And it's not just a list of people that I'm not sure about their salvation. Sometimes it's somebody that I just know they've gone through a difficult time. Sometimes it's somebody that, that I met, they shared their story, I just start to pray for them. And as I'm in prayer, I'm just saying, God, how do you want to live through me today? All of a sudden, somebody's name comes to mind. My next thought is, God, what do you want me to do? And there might be just one simple word, encourage. Might be one word, like share. My next question is, God, how? What do I need to encourage? What do I need to share? And I'm sitting there and a passage will come to mind. And I can't tell you how many times I feel like a complete idiot when I'm over here and I text a person and I say, um... This morning I'm in prayer and God brought you to mind. And by the way, when you're a pastor and you text that to somebody, they're like, what did God tell him about my life? <laughs> and by the way, my prayer life's not that great that God has given that type of information. But oftentimes I'll say, when I was praying, God brought up encouragement. I don't know what you're going through, but here's the passage God laid on my heart for you. And that person will text back, like, you have no idea how timely this was. And they begin to say, here's what I've been going through. And a week ago, somebody else that I work with gave me that exact same passage. And I've been sitting with it. And I was saying, God, is this really it? And this morning, that passage shows up. And all of a sudden, here's what that tells that person. God is in hot pursuit of them. 
When God starts dropping the same message in different areas, it starts to resonate. Think about what happens when God begins to burden your heart for individuals and you're praying for them and they're going through something and all of a sudden you reach out at that right time. You reach out and say, man, I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. What, how, can I, how can I help? What's God doing in your life? Whatever it might be, I want to encourage you. Keep a list of people you're praying over. Number one, it will bless you like crazy to know that God wants to use you to bless and encourage others. And it will also encourage and bless those that you're praying for and those you're reaching out to. So this next week, we will finish out our This is the Gospel training. We've gone through the front matter material. It's basically the theology behind things. It's understanding principles. Next week, I'm going to go through that six-point presentation that I cover each time I share the gospel. We will cover that together, and then what we're going to do is I'm going to show you how each of these books work together, how they can be used in your life, and also how they can be used in the lives of those that are around you, okay? All right, let's go to prayer. Thank God for tonight. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for what you continue to do. We ask tonight, God, that you would allow us to to be good at spiritual farming. God, help us to stay in a state of dependence upon you, in a state of prayer and receptivity. And God, we pray that we would respond in faithful obedience as you prompt along the way. God, may there be tens of thousands of people who come to know you as Lord and Savior because the people in this room and those who are watching online are walking and living on mission with you. And God, we know when somebody comes to you in salvation, that is your work. We cannot take the glory for that. That is your work. And God, we thank you and praise you in advance. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You all have a wonderful rest of your Sunday.